nonprofits need to consider it not being as big of a priority and focusing on building strong ambassador relationships with creators because it only takes a handful of creators to be really passionate about you for them to start telling all of their other creator friends to do it with them and to get on board. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin, and um, excited today to get to share with you a conversation I had uh, a, a few weeks back. I was at the Nonprofit Technology Network's annual conference, NTC19, uh, and got a chance to catch up with Ali Sweetman of Twitch. Now, um, you may not have heard of Twitch, and that's okay, we're gonna get into that. Ali is uh, a part of the team at, at Twitch that works with nonprofits, hand in hand with nonprofits, on live stream fundraising. Again, so Twitch may not be something you're familiar with. The, the idea of live stream fundraising may be something you're not familiar with. And, and we're going to get to the bottom of what both of those things are on this episode. So uh, before we get to it, just real quick, want to make sure that you throw us a follow. We're on Twitter at Group Thinkers. You can also find us on Instagram. Be sure to also follow at RKD Group. We post a lot of top content there about things that are happening in nonprofit space, innovations, and people who are doing new and exciting initiatives. And live stream fundraising is certainly one of those things. It's, uh, it's, it's new, the adoption is picking up speed dramatically, and it's something that you're gonna wanna know more about. You're gonna know more about it by the end of this episode. So with that, I'm gonna toss it to the interview. Here's Ali Sweetman on Group Thinkers. All right, so Ali, thanks for joining. Uh, welcome to Group Thinkers. How how are you today? I'm doing really great. The weather's really nice today. The weather is the weather's nice here. I'm I'm in Portland. You're uh, you're in the Bay Area, is that correct? Yeah, I'm in San Francisco. It was been raining a lot, and it's really sunny today. Yeah, we uh, we we actually hiked the falls yesterday and got into. Some um, freezing rain, which was not what we were expecting in in March, but in any way. Um, so I'm super excited to talk to you. This is um, a conversation I've been looking forward to because I want to understand so much more about live stream fundraising, and I consider you to be one of the foremost authorities in the nonprofit sector on a really innovative topic. Um, but before we get to all that, I want to understand your background. Um, so. How in the world did you end up in your role with Twitch and even just working with nonprofits in general? Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty interesting story because it, it's really wild. I was dating a guy in college who I was already playing video games all the time, but I had never heard of Twitch. And he used Twitch as a tool to go and find out how to do something in a game. And he wanted to find out how to do something in RuneScape and watch this girl who made like a thousand dollars in like two hours. And he was like, you're a girl, you play video games, you can make money. And so I started live streaming. I didn't watch a single stream before I started streaming. And it was so awful. I went back and looked at a clip or something from one of my first streams and it was awful. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I met a lot of really great friends doing it. And a few months in, like two or three, I followed this group on Twitter. They're not around anymore, but they, when I followed them, they DM'd me and they were like, hey, do you want to join our group? And I was like, 
sure. And they did charity live streaming. And I was like, wait a minute, this is a thing. I can do this. And so from the moment I realized it was a thing um, for like a couple of weeks straight, I was like connected to my computer, doing all the research I could about Twitch, understanding how to grow a channel, how to do events. And then I went to the group and I was like, Hey, I did all this research and I think you're doing it wrong. And they were like, all right, what do you think we should do? And I went through whatever I had thought of at the time and they were like, great, you're in charge. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, for almost a year, I was with that group and we raised like, I want to say like $40,000 in a year for various small charities um, and activations. It helped a lot that one of the kids or one of the guys that was involved, his mom had a lot of money. And so anytime we did a fundraiser during his like sure. part of the slot, she dropped a lot of money. So that always helped. Yeah. You had a major donor. You had someone, you know, we had a dedicated major donor. Pocket. Yeah. And I really liked that it was grassroots and that you didn't have to quote be somebody. And then the group kind of mm-hmm. disbanded through various disagreements and other people growing out of what the group had become. And I started me and another member um, Leo started another group called Guy and Gamers, and I still help run that today. But um, one of my, it's funny, my ex's older sister is a third owner. We brought her on recently as an owner, and she um, she got involved too because I was doing it. And she's she's just like me. She's super social. She runs volunteer stuff like wherever she lives and all this stuff. She's going to school to be a doctor right now. She's insane. So then I finished school. And when I finished school, I was like, I don't know what to do with this degree. So I taught. And so I taught second grade for a year. And then towards the end of my second grade year, uh, my current boss, Andrew Schroeder, reached out to me on Twitter and was like, if this position were to exist, would this be something you'd be interested in applying for? And I was like, sure. But I was like, can I work from Texas? And he's like, I'll get back to you. And he was like, no. He's like, do you still want to proceed with the interview process? I was like, sure. Because I was like, if anything, I'll just do the interview. I'm not going to get the job anyways. It's not something I have to worry about. So I did the phone interview and then I flew out here. And then a week later, I get an email with the offer. And I was like, oh, I, I guess. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take it. It's, 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 I'm not going to move to California. And then it was like two hours after I got the email that I had already accepted the offer. And with the point of being that I wasn't going to leave in the middle of the school year. So they let me start after school year ended. And a lot of what I learned while doing, doing it on my own, I was able to bring to the job. Um, I didn't know Michael personally before working at Twitch, but I certainly used his platform a lot. In fact, um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, we wanted to fundraise for them. And the easiest way for us to do it with all the tools at the time, the only way to do it with streamer tools was through Tiltify. And we emailed and we tweeted and we finally got a hold of someone. We explained to them what they wanted, what we wanted to do. And they were like, sure, we'll sign up. Just leave us alone. <laughs> they didn't say that, but that was just <laughs> like, okay, you fucked us. We got it. And um, we did a fundraiser. And so it kind of became this, we would find a nonprofit we liked and I would kind of coach them on getting on Tiltify, mainly because we wanted to fundraise for them. And then some of them asked a little bit more information. And I've taken a lot of that learnings here with my role. And then as a more formal thing, working with nonprofits who are interested in learning what Twitch is, how the Twitch community raises money, how to talk to a Twitch creator, and really what the, the value and understanding that 
a lot of people think of Twitch and they think of uh, a gamer of like the early 1990s back when gaming was this thing that was somebody who didn't have a life or they didn't have a, they were not somebody that you would be like, oh yeah, I game. It wouldn't be something you'd share publicly um, unless it was other gamers. And so I spent a lot of time dispelling a lot of myths or thought processes behind like, but what about violent games or things like that? So that's a little so, bit of my so background. Explain, explain, explain your role uh, besides Mythbuster. Explain your role mm-hmm. with Twitch uh, and the role that you play because it's. I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. So um, my um, Andrew, he was he started this charity initiative at Twitch internally on his own, and he was running this team for several years by himself. And then I joined, and when I when I came on what we found was that a large part of my role is, is education, internal education for teams that want to activate something they're working on. Or if an external brand wants to do a charity event that maybe, maybe they aren't a nonprofit. They're like a big name brand, but they don't really know the, like the route to go or the best way to incentivize donations. So it is a lot of educational realms, whether it's, I work with Twitch creators who are like, how can I fundraise or, what events are going on. And then sometimes I work with already established campaigns like St. Jude Play Live or Save the Children's Create for Kids or Extra Life. And it's more about making those bigger, more accessible. Um, And then sometimes I get to do something really unique. Um, I really helped push the diversity and inclusion programs that we do publicly now with Black History Month. Last year I had no charity charity element because I couldn't find the right the right nonprofit for it. But then we really pushed forward last year with Women's History Month and we attached a nonprofit and we found one with the right synergy. And so I've been able to do some really cool stuff with that. But I would say my role is primarily educational at this point right now. What I love about your journey, Ali, is that um, the place that you find yourself, it's it's boiled up out of one, your personal passions. And, you know, that you were someone that was a gamer and still are, right? And, uh, but then also your desire to be involved and desire to seek change and connect with nonprofits, like you mentioned with yourself and, and some of your colleagues. And I think that that's admirable in a time where the nonprofit sector is playing in some ways. We've had other guests on the, the podcast after all these uh, refer to the existential crisis that nonprofits are going through right now, trying to figure out exactly where we are in the same time. And so it's so cool to see um, a young company that's exploding to have a commitment to the nonprofit sector like what Twitch has. Um, I'm familiar with Twitch because of um, my son bringing it to my attention. Um, he's, he's 10 and uh, he's, he's a gamer. And so I try to stay involved and you know, want to make sure and, and see and know what, what's going on. So through things like EMLS and um, even some of the other influencers and stuff that, that he and I have like-minded interest in. He's brought Twitch into my life. Um, many listeners that we have probably don't know whenever you and I talk about it, they don't know what Twitch is and they don't know what live stream fundraising is. So, um, so what, what is it? What is, what is Twitch and what is live stream fundraising? Yeah. So Twitch is this 
if I were speaking like super politically brand motivated, I would say that we're multiplayer entertainment, which is a very accurate statement. It's entertainment that everybody is involved with. But if that doesn't ring any bells, think of if you could talk to a celebrity in a chat room while they're videoing and they're responding with voice and video answering and you can type in a live chat and there's a, only a few second delay and difference between those communications. Or some people will be like, it's YouTube, but live. And it is kind of like YouTube. I would say that the YouTube comment section is horrendous. And so I don't like to make the comparison, but it <laughs> is very much, it's a video that is live that you can port out from a computer, a phone, a console, and a chat, your community that you build that responds and watches you play for the longest time, Twitch was video games only. And then it was like video games and very specific creator th creative items like painting or drawing. And now we've got IRL travel and cooking and fitness and dance. And I saw a blacksmith and glass blower. So it's really just this really great place where people from all over the world kind of connect with each other in in instant live moments and how charity live stream fundraising kind of came about was Extra Life and St. Jude are both two of the earliest adopters of nonprofits that really jumped into this space. Um, and when I talk to creators and I'm like, why do you do it? And they're like, because I can, it's, it's great. I get to play video games and make this really great impact. And sometimes they go really insane with it by saying they'll eat really gross stuff for $5 or they'll, the first charity stream I ever did, I was like, I will hula hoop for 60 seconds for every $5 donation. And that was a mistake um, because I hula hooped for a very long time, very poorly. And it was awful. And recently I was like, for every $5, I'll eat a marshmallow, not a regular marshmallow, but a jumbo marshmallow. And I hate marshmallows. It was very gross. And, and I will never do that again. There's a guy, <laughs> Michael talks about a, a pickle challenge individual where he was a small, right. smaller, low viewership streamer that was like, his friend was, or somebody in chat was just like, I'll give you $200 to eat a pickle. Because this guy was talking about how much he, hate pickle. he hates pickles. And it's turned into this thing where when he does a charity stream, he has like sliced pickles and he eats a slice of pickle for every X amount donated to charity. And so it's just this really great way for people to mobilize around a cause and they don't have to, sometimes getting involved in things, the barrier is one, you don't know how to, or you have to go to a physical location and be really awkward about it around a bunch of people you don't know. And if you look at a lot of the statistics, um, feeling socially awkward is on the rise. Um, and so being able to do it on the internet with people that have similar interests, there's already like a really good common ground to be like, hey, do you want to do something really cool? You want to fundraise for this nonprofit that St. Jude does really well. They break it down to it's like 2 million, 2.2 million per day to run the hospital. And they break it down even so much further. And it's people just go all out really insane fundraising for all the different organizations. And even the ones that they're involved with really long time, they'll branch off and be like, I saw this Facebook video or this tweet about this one organization that seems really cool. I want to fundraise for them. 
And so it's, it's just this really powerful, low, low barrier to entry thing that people can do because they feel so blessed that, you know, that they're able to play video games for a living is how a lot of people put it. Well, and in so many ways, it's, it's the modern uh, telephone. Like it's, it's a telephone concept. So for, uh, you know, for some direct marketers that remember the days of the telephone, like there's an aspect of it that has this um, live, as you said, entertainment. Um, but there's so much more natural community involved in it because of the interest. And it's not that you just happen to be turning on one of the three channels that you had broadcasting at the time, whenever telethons are maybe at their peak. Now, like you said, like it's, it's people who are connected already through the internet and through their interests that are coming together to do something for the greater good whilst doing, doing something that they're passionate about in gaming and, and weaving in these different challenges or whatnot. And that's super, super fascinating. What do you think that that tells us about uh, millennials and and Gen Z. That cele- traditional celebrities are not as impactful in our lives, that we have a different, with the age of the internet and mobile technology, we have the ability to be connected to somebody we don't know and give a greater look into someone's lives. I think um, YouTube did a study where it was like 40% of teenagers say that they feel closer to the YouTuber they watch than real life friends. And it's just that people don't want a one-way communication that you typically would see with watching a movie on a screen. Um, They want a two-way street and they want to feel very involved. And this kind of allows people to feel involved, even if they're not able to donate watching in a regular stream, like even if they aren't able to support either the streamer or their charity stream in a monetary way, watching is something they're told consistently. Just you being here is supportive and it, it gives you a really good feel good impact and about being involved. And, you know, for, for listeners who may be hearing this and thinking this is some sort of a fly by night thing or something. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen statistics where over 40 million raised, um, uh, you know, by the community in 2018 and over a hundred million since Twitch launched in what, 2011. So the numbers are, we did the Twitch community raised $42 million in 2018 for nonprofits around the world. And if you think about the fact that it's 110 million since 2011, that means it's ramping up at quite a pace year over year. I think the first year I was here, it was like, I think, I believe it was 36 million. And, um, and if you think about how big this industry is and how many people are involved, more and more people are realizing this is a thing that they can do. More of the nonprofits they're passionate about are getting involved. And so there's, the accessibility is getting better. This episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by Holidays, the myth and reality behind giving in December, 2018. Did you know that one in five donors reported giving less to nonprofits last December? I know that for organizations that we work with, things were great through November, even maybe the first week of December. And then compared to what we had traditionally seen in the last three weeks of December, 
things started to dry up. I'm sure I wasn't the only one who noticed a sudden drop in donations compared to what we are used to with December. So some questions started to pop up into the nonprofit marketing ether. Was it the tax laws? Was it the economy? Was it the government shutdown? Well, we decided to find answers from the donor's perspective. So RKD Group partnered with McQueen, Mackin and Associates to conduct a unique study speaking directly to donors to find out why giving dropped so drastically last December. You can download the full white paper at givingindecember.com. Find out exactly what donors had to say about their change in giving behavior and use that to build your strategies going into year end 2019. So head over to givingindecember.com, download the white paper, and now back to group thinkers. And there's such a key component to this that you mentioned earlier, which is the kind of a celebrity impact, but maybe not necessarily on the traditional celebrity side, but more about influencers. So give us some examples of how an influencer would be involved in doing a live stream fundraising event. What are some of your, your favorite uh, examples that, that you've been able to work on? So some of the best ex um, charity live streams where just the charity was like, hey, we want you to do a fundraiser during this time period. And then creators found out about it or it was communicated to them or they were asked to be involved and they got to do some really cool stuff. Influencers are really great because when you're, we see ads all the time. We see ads for competing stuff that says they're the best or the world's leading. And it's much easier to trust somebody that says, I believe in this than it is an ad or a static thing. Every, every nonprofit tries to write the most emotional marketing materials that they can because that is what has traditionally worked but it's just when we're in a socially conscious era where everyone is trying to sell us something or they're trying to get us to do something and we're all very aware of it so we want to know more and when the influencers are armed with the information they can create those impactful moments themselves my most favorite reward for somebody reaching one of their charity live stream goals was this this streamer is terrified of birds and she is absolutely petrified and everyone knows it and for her incentive i think it was for fifteen thousand dollars when she hit fifteen thousand dollars she agreed to buy some wedding doves and release them in the wild at a park and the video is absolutely hilarious because she's holding this bird as far away from her and above her as she can. And then the moment she lets go, she like hits the floor, which hits the ground because she's absolutely terrified. And then that was like two years ago. And this year or last year, she got her family involved and she did a poll through donations that was, if we reach our goal, which one of my family members would you like most to see jump in a pool fully clothed? And her dad was voted and he got fully dressed up in a suit, shoes and all, and jumped into a pool. And so it's those really fun things, like everyone's excited to give money to do something good and be a part of it, but they're also really excited to shape content and create mm -hmm. funny moments and inside jokes with their friends in these communities. 
I think there, again, it just kind of reiterates the community aspect, the contributor aspect that, um, it's, you know, it's not sharing content for the sake of just baking more content, right? It, it's tied to what you're passionate about or what you enjoy, even if it's having a family member jump in a pool fully clothed and so help me. I would love to line up. I've got family members I would line up and just have them <laughs> I, know, go in one after another. Yeah. Um, and Guy and Gamers, we had um, – it's really hard because beards take a long time to grow, but um, we <laughs> have a lot of bearded members, and it's like every quarter one or two of them offer to shave off their beard if we reach an X number, and they shave it off on stream, and it's always this thing because beards are really pride. – it's a very prideful thing. I grew this beard. It is a very prideful thing. Yes. yes. And, and they're, like, they're like, okay, I will. Um, and it's, it's really cool to see so many people go out of their way to not just do things that are simple on stream, but that affect them long-term, like shaving off a beard and having a baby face for a while, um, or something that they're passionate about. So it's these influencers that are making things very personable, which is, you know, it's important. I know that one of the things that, that we find across the board in working with nonprofit organizations is that the pursuit of relevance and the pursuit of authenticity are the things that are going to drive deeper connection and have people be more wed to your organization. And, and one of the aspects of live stream fundraising that I love is that it really, it epitomizes authenticity and relevance for a younger donor demographic authenticity, because it's something that um, speaks to them. And whether or not that's an influencer that they're passionate about following that person's content or a, um, you know, aligning on some other sort of interest, but then also relevance because it's meeting them where they are. And so, you know, you share the example of, of St. Jude uh, Children's Hospital being heavily involved in doing their own events. Do you more often than not have um, nonprofits that are doing this on their own as kind of a do-it-yourself and DIY fundraising campaign or influencers saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, and for every, you know, level, you know, I achieve or whatever, um, challenge I, you know, unlock, I'll donate X amount. What, which do you see more at this point in time? So I see nonprofits coming in the space, trying to create programs similar to St. Jude. And the St. Jude program is a do it yourself one. It's like, we're going to all put our effort in together during the month of May And just in this month of May, we're going to focus really hard. And it's all do-it-yourself fundraising. It's just that Mm -hmm. they have a really great way of cultivating the relationships to keep it happening year over year. I would say the struggle is that that's not super scalable. It's not a product solution. It is not a mass email. And so nonprofits who might not have the resources at first to really consider diving into it. And um, sometimes if they can't do that, the easiest thing they can do is just sign up on a site like Tiltify or being available on a site that has streamer tools because if the streamer wants to fundraise for this nonprofit and they're accessible on the tools they need to be successful, then they'll do it. They don't have to wait for someone to ask them. Um, I mean, I shared the case of we wanted to raise for AFSP and the only way to fundraise for them was to track them down and get them to sign up on this site they'd never heard of and, you know, take a plunge. They've actually done really successful just being on Tiltify because people are passionate about mental health. And so 
um, not, I will say that not every nonprofit is going to see the same huge level of success. There are certainly some really specific issues that are harder to get behind because somebody hasn't had to deal with it or it's an issue so far removed from, from them that they couldn't possibly imagine. One of the nonprofits we fundraised for when we first started Guy and Gamers was called Yellow Boat of Hope. And it's a really cool organization that is in the Philippines that helps. It's a school lunch program and they build yellow boats that ferry kids from one island to another so they can go to school without having to pay a ferryman or swim across to go. And I think we raised like $250 and we fundraised for like 48 hours really hard and we only raised $250 because so many people in chat were talking about how great they thought the nonprofit was, but they just couldn't find that emotional connection because it was so incredibly far removed that they just, they just couldn't find the compelling moment to donate. And that's okay. I think that nonprofits will kind of know if they're like going to be really successful in the space and enough to hire somebody to manage the program like they would a run walk, or if it's just about being accessible so that if somebody does come across them and say, this is really cool, they can get that extra um, donations. It is important, I think, you know, to your point of nonprofits being proactive and understanding this space, though, because it is on uh, on such a rise. So as opposed to, you know, like in the last two years, um, Facebook fundraising has crept up on a number of nonprofits. And so they get this massive check from, you know, from Facebook on a monthly basis that doesn't give them donor data, doesn't give them a way to follow up. And so they didn't have a proactive strategy on how to capitalize on it. And so they're being, you know, really reactive and trying to understand, okay, well, how do we connect them better to it? You know, I think that donor, understanding. Donor <laughs> yeah, my favorite, yeah, un favorite topic. <laughs> well, understanding that live stream fundraising is on the rise with the trajectory that it has. I think that it's a call to, you know, to having a data strategy that involves live stream fundraising and considering yeah. if people are, are looking at the you know the next 12 to 18 months what are you doing to like you said be available uh, but then for some nonprofits you can take a chance on on putting this together and finding or developing an influencer strategy or or you know finding someone that was going to do a DIY program uh, and and understanding what that looks like so um, you you had the you know the the smirk around donor data um, why is it your least favorite topic um, because I understand why nonprofits want the donor data, especially when at not even 20 years ago, even if you were donating cash, they still wanted you to fill out this little card with all your information. And it's because right. mailing thank you notes and emailing thank you notes and reminders of different campaigns used to be super effective because people didn't really know else how to get involved. But when people are looking to donate during a live stream, they're more focused on the live stream than they are giving the charity the information. And every time I donate, I will get signed up for emails that I did not want through because they don't have any other donor data on me other than my email address because I use PayPal to do the right. donation. And I'm like, I get really annoyed. And if it was a direct email and I could respond to somebody, I would like give them a piece of my mind because I don't need it. I donated to you because... I wanted to, and I also want to do donors want to give the least amount of clicks, be super quick and get back to what they're doing. 
And so when people are talking about donor data, it's like, what do you really need it for? And a lot of people tell me, it's like, we want to turn them into monthly givers. And it's like, if you want to turn them into monthly givers, you need to convince the influencer to fundraise for you monthly or to fundraise for you several times because it's not, people are not oblivious to nonprofits existence or how to find them if they truly want to donate. Um, people who are donating through this avenue are doing it because it's very interactive. They get incentives that are on screen and instant and they get to make someone else feel really happy. Um, there are really great moments of, do of donation goals being blown out of the water and the person that's live streaming just break down in tears telling the story about why it's so important to them that they were able to meet this goal and they're, they're crying and they're so thankful and everyone in chat's like, it's a common thing. We broke the streamer, we broke the streamer. And it's like this really great moment. And so it's not, if people want to be more involved in this day and age, we can find out how it's the internet. We'll, we will find you if we want to give you that information. And I think that that's a really hard struggle because nonprofits want all of this data. And yeah. we're at a time yeah, where- our data is the most valuable thing. I was reading an article that data is more valuable than oil now. And we don't want to give it mainly just because we don't want to be contacted. We get notifications from every app we download. You have to manually turn off notifications, every email, every website you visit, everybody wants your information. And so it's just something that nonprofits need to consider it not being as big of a priority and focusing on building strong ambassador relationships with creators because it only takes a handful of creators to be really passionate about you for them to start telling all of their other creator friends to do it with them and to get on board yeah i think there's some really interesting points in there you know the um one of the things that's been a constant in diy as a whole is that uh, you know i'm not donating to the organization i'm donating to my friend who's doing the run walk mm -hmm. that's the example uh, and so you've got this step removed from me being actually connected to the cause. And a part of, Ali, what you're sharing is that, you know, people who are donating in a live stream event, they're, they're not connected to the cause. They're connected to the influencer, to the, the creator. And so there is a need for nonprofits to recognize that barrier and then to be innovative on how to um, raise their uh, their point of connection, um, you know, and some of that takes reframing internally within nonprofits. How do you measure the effectiveness of this sort of thing? What is the um, what is the the way that we can connect with a, a a generation who is being inundated with, like you said, notifications? And because it, it's not just every app, it's now it's every website that you visit once to, yes. you know, give you push notifications, et cetera. And so, you know, that's really interesting. We did, we did some research um, with a friend of ours, Josh McQueen, and found that, you know, even in the last year, the number of nonprofits that people are giving to, the number of organizations that they support is increasing. And we know from research that we've looked at on generational breakdowns, that from baby boomers to Gen X to millennial, with each new generation of 18 years, they increase the number of organizations that they give to by three. So it goes from six to nine to 12. And so when you have, when you get to millennial donors, them giving to twice as many 
as two generations before, well, they're not twice as connected to those nonprofits. There are many people that they're giving to, like in this case, they're giving to the creator. They're not giving to the nonprofit. It poses some real challenges for nonprofits on how do you, like I said earlier, wed yourself to these people who are giving to you. And like you said, there's, there's something to the influencer strategy or making relationships with creators that's important in there. I would, yeah, I would definitely say, and part of connecting with those influencers is giving them resources or making them available. Something I talk about a lot is a impact statement. I tell nonprofits when they're working with creators and they're giving them a one pager of information at the very top, it should be an impact statement. That impact statement should illustrate everything you need to know about that nonprofit in one sentence that they could play in between 360 no scoping people in Call of Duty or speed running Mario or whatever it is they're doing, they should be able to do it very, very quickly. Um, and so my favorite one is actually by Rise Above the Disorder. They are a mental health nonprofit that was made in the gaming space. And theirs is with every $30 raised, Rise Above the Disorder provides a therapy session to someone in need. In that statement, you know it costs $30, you know their mental health, and you know that it's going to someone that couldn't afford therapy. And with that statement, you could go off into a personal conversation about your own struggles with mental health. There's somebody you know that's had struggles with mental health. And you're making it a small enough number that someone could understand that if they gave $30 to this campaign right now, they were do they would be doing something. And they're also making it um, the statement so easy, clear, and concise that the streamer doesn't have to remember 10 different things about what your organization does. Anxiety gaming does or they used to be called anxiety game. Now they rise above disorder. So excuse me, rise above the disorder has other programs, but that is the program that is the easiest to market. And so when talking with nonprofits, ones particularly that I'm working with, I've been working with since basically I started as Wounded Warrior Project, they've done a really great job of being available and getting everyone on board. I went to their corporate summit and Courtney, the lady who's running the program over there is like, hey, I just want you to meet a few people and kind of go over some stuff with us. And I walk in the room and it's the, the head of every department. And I was like, this is not a few people. And just, just a couple out. people, just a couple people, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was like a board meeting room. It was huge. It was very humbling. I was like, oh, all of these people are here to talk to me. And I went over a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about today. And we talked about Twitch as a website and the different functions of it. And one thing is that when nonprofits dive into it, the first thing is, is they're like, I want to create a brand new program. And you're like, you don't have to create a new program, just be available and make your programs that you have easy to understand. And so one thing that Wounded Warrior Project has done, as well as St. Jude and Save the Children, is that if you go to how to get involved, doing a live stream is an option on their site. And there is a page on how to do a live stream. And it's not hidden, it's not a separate hyperlink, it's just built in on their website with information. And it's like, and if you want to get in touch with us and have questions or you want us to come by, here is an email. So they're super accessible, which is something that creating those relationships is super easy because people will email you if you're accessible. Allie, it's such a uh, great example. Um, are, are there other resources that, you know, as a as nonprofit marketers listen to this, where can they go to find out where to start? And where, where, what resources do you have available, does Tultify have available that, 
that can help someone within a nonprofit connect and start to build out influencer strategies or um, all than live stream fundraising. So one of the biggest thing is, is spend a couple hours on Twitch, go to a couple of different channels, spend a couple of hours in different types of channels, talking, engage, create a username that's not your real name, something fun, <laughs> a nickname. My name's Alyssa, but I go by Allie. And the only reason I go by Allie is because my nickname's Allie Cat. And that was one year in school as a kid trying to find myself. I was like, I'm going to go by Allie this school year. When one year somebody said, calm down, Allie Cat. And I was like, I like that. And then that became my username for everything because it was simple. And I'm I don't, not that hard. And I spell it in a way that the spelling's easy to get on every site. So, you know, create a fun username that represents you or something you like and go chat in channels, go just talk and be a part of the conversation. And you'll see how easy it is to get so involved. Um, Tiltify is a great resource in general. Signing up on their site is free and they also have various service and things and such that um, is accessible through them but they have a great team there, easy to work with. Michael and I, Michael's the CEO. Um, and I, uh, he started inviting me to the speaking panels because he was going and you know he's the fundraising platform. But to really drive in the impact of what's going on, and I work with nonprofits and then in the end I have to connect them with him anyway, so it's full circle. So we go mm-hmm. and to various speaking events around the world and speak on the topic and kind of introduce it and make people aware because the more people that look at live streaming as not this like weird hobby that people are doing that makes them feel weird it's it's an entrepreneurial track that people put themselves on some people make full careers out of it and once they realize that they probably know someone that's either a twitch streamer or watches twitch within two people of themselves in any direction of their friend circle and People just don't talk about it if they think they're not interested. So uh, last thing, Ali, uh, and I'll let you go because I know you have a, you have a flight to catch. What, um, where can people connect with you online? You know, we've got um, folks that are in nonprofit marketing departments uh, that tune in to group thinkers. Where can they connect or find you? Yeah, so... I'm on Twitter, though, don't judge me. It's my personal slash work slash mostly personal work account. Um, Alleycat, A-L-Y-K-K-A-T. You can reach out to Twitch. Um, Both Drew and I are connected to charity at twitch.tv as an email address. I'm on LinkedIn as Alyssa Sweetman. Pretty accessible everywhere, honestly. I, I don't know how not to be connected, it's probably probably not super great. I'm not as connected as some of my friends, but I'm easily trackable. Very cool. Allie, thank you so much for um, hanging out today. And uh, I look forward to connecting again down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So there's the conversation with Allie from Twitch. Allie Cat, as she referred to herself. Uh, so... Some of the takeaways, some of the things that I was jotting down notes and and going back through this conversation that stuck with me um, were, one, her reference to the article that's been circulating now for a couple years that data is more valuable than oil. Certainly in the nonprofit space, uh, I don't know that we're sitting on 
barrels of barrels of oil, but we are sitting on data and we are uh, focused now maybe more than ever as an industry on what data we have, what data we don't have, where we're putting that data, how we're using that data, what the data is telling us. So certainly the reliance, the importance of data, uh, but then also the flip side uh, perspective of someone that is um, millennial, borderline into Gen Z on what connection looks like. And Ali's coming from this place of thinking about connection through influencers. And so thinking about the, uh, the general public, that potential donor that's out there and their connection to influencers and how us as nonprofit marketers can connect to the people that will connect us to them. Uh, influencer marketing is massive. It's so important in B2B and B2C. It's so much of what fills up your social feed. And so, you know, I love getting into the mindset of the ultimate person being influenced by, uh, by that influencer. So, uh, so that's it for this chat. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you learned a couple things. And if you want to know more about live stream fundraising, for sure, there are resources available on Twitch's website, as well as Tiltify, which is, um, platform that she mentioned. You can also reach out to us at Group Thinkers. We can connect you with Allie, the team at Twitch and help you get down the road on live stream fundraising. Uh, good stuff. Thanks for checking out this episode. You can always hit us up on Twitter and, and we can continue the conversation there, as I mentioned. Uh, and don't forget to download that holidays study that we mentioned halfway through. You can go to givingindecember.com and download that uh, the full white paper, the full study on what happened last December. Um, connectivity is a central part of that conversation, just like the connectivity that Allie's mentioning from her perspective uh, on as a younger cohort of how she's connecting to organizations or how she's connecting to influencers that are connected to organizations. So uh, be sure that your resource arsenal is full of all of these uh, elements that we're putting out there. So that's it for today and um, appreciate you spending time with us. We'll, uh, we'll see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks goes out to the production team, including Ryan Mellinger, as well as our content marketing team, Suzanne, Holly, and Carly for their work on this and every episode of group thinkers.